Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I am Pastor Bryce, and I have with me again Dan Geelock. Dan, thanks for being here. Oh my goodness, you had me back. What a surprise. <laughs> we record these two at a time, so Dan came back by just walking back, left, right. He's here. Here he is. So we wanted to have Dan back because last week we were talking about legalism, which is one ditch that we can fall into by misunderstanding the gospel. This week, we want to talk about the other ditch, which is, as Dan, we were talking about this just before we recorded, is less recognized. We don't talk about it as much, maybe partly because I'm looking at the word on my paper. There's a lot of letters in it. But the opposite of legalism is licentiousness. And we will talk about what that means. Well, why don't we talk about it right now? Maybe, Dan, could you get us started? For those not familiar with this term, licentiousness, how would you define it? Well, I think that it's related to license or liberty. Calvin says the best things are perverted into the worst. And I thought that was great because that's what license, licentiousness or lasciviousness is. Mm -hmm. Taking something that God has created and just wrecking it. Mm -hmm. It's a wild, unruly lifestyle, unrestrained, out of control. For me, I I would define it as an excusing or justification of sin for any reason a removal or rejection of restraints, decency, self-control, or shame for momentary pleasures, a mind that is set, focused, fixated on the flesh, those temporary, self-serving exhilarations that blind us, capture, chain, and cage us into totally wasted lives. So if you can't tell by that definition, this is something you don't want to do. (laughs) You do not want this. (laughs) Not a good thing. This is very bad. So we do not want legalism from last week. We do not want licentiousness from this week. So let's dive into that definition you gave just a little bit more, Dan. I want to start by giving the classic example of licentiousness in the Bible. It is something Paul the Apostle was fighting often, but we see it clearest in Romans Chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6. At the end of Romans 5, Paul, who has been making the argument, here's the good thing that gets perverted into something bad. He's been making the argument, we are not saved by works of the law. Praise God. That's the best news in the whole world. So how are we saved? By grace. It's free. We trust in Christ. We're freely forgiven apart from works of the law. Hooray. And he even says in chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Think of all the evil in the world through Adam's fall. And yet where there was so much sin in the world through Christ, grace abounds even more to cover the sin of all who trust in Christ. So with so much grace covering so much sin, that leads to a possible misunderstanding given to us in Romans 6, 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? If there's so much grace everywhere, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
That is licentiousness. In other words, when we trust in Christ, there's grace to cover every sin we commit. We're forgiven. We're pardoned. It won't be held against us. So the more sins we commit, the more grace there is to cover those sins. So should we conclude then, well, we want Christ to show lots of grace and be glorified. Let's commit lots of sins. As if we were handed a license, like a driver's license, when you come to Christ. It's as if you're handed a license, and it is not a driver's license, it is a sinner's license. Go ahead and sin all you want. Grace will cover it. And Paul takes hold of that and rips it in shreds and says, No, (laughs) may it never be. That is not right, and we'll see why that is. So here's the ditch of licentiousness. You trust in Christ, you say, well, if I'm forgiven, I'll do what I want. Here are some examples to make it more practical. I want to start with a few really a few really obvious examples that probably most of us aren't going to deal with ourselves, but they're out there. Here's one. The early Gnostics were studying 1 John on Sundays, and so we are interacting with the Gnostics. The early Gnostics argued, some of them, there are a lot of different Gnostics, but some of them argued that the body, because it's material, it's physical, it's not important. And then they concluded, as Christian Gnostics, because the body is not important, sexual immorality doesn't really matter. It's fine. So you see, you have a license to commit sexual immorality. That is licentiousness. And interestingly, it's kind of a side note, but I found it interesting that within Hinduism, there is a very small number of Brahmins who are the highest caste or class of Hindus. There are a very small number of Brahmins who claim to have already reached moksha, this kind of escape from the wheel of samsara. Basically, that's the goal of Hinduism, is to get out of this, whatever you want to call it. I can't say what we'd call it because um, Hindus would say I probably misunderstand. So just to keep it simple, we're trying to get out of this cycle of life into something higher. That's moksha. And there are a few Brahmins who claim that they've already reached it in this life. Most say you've got to die, be reincarnated, reach that. But they claim they've already reached it. Why? Because those Brahmins who claim that can then go out, eat meat that typical Hindus aren't allowed to eat, have sex if you want, treat people however you want, build up what would be a karmic debt, but it's because you've already reached it. I just give that as another example. This is a human problem. Licentiousness. License to do what you want. Another really heartbreaking example, and I hate to even mention it, but it's on people's minds, was Ravi Ravi Zacharias. And if you've read the report that came out as they investigated after his death, some of his behavior with women, he committed sexual immorality and it seems repeatedly would tell the women he was doing this with that this was part of his reward for serving God. The fact that this happened with Ravi Zacharias illustrates a very dangerous truth, that there is such a temptation that comes within those in train in the Judeo-Christian ethic, within the Christian church. There are people who are tempted to think this way. And every time I consider that, I think about the Old Testament judge, Ehud. Ehud was a left-handed man who was sent by God to deliver a specific life-or-death message to Eglon, the Moabite. And so Ehud obeyed God, went on his mission, and it says in Judges 3, verse 19, that as he was doing this, 
he passed by the idols which were at Gilgal. He delivered this life or death message. And then again, at the end, in verse 26, Ehud again escaped and passed by the idols. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because in that day, the idols were not simply a piece of stone out in the middle of a field, but they were places of fertility cults. And the great temptation could have been for Ehud to have said, I've just obeyed God. I was on a mission. I was successful. Therefore, I can indulge myself. But no, Ehud showed himself faithful to God by not indulging the flesh. And I think it's very important for us to recognize that there is a real temptation there. And it's a great wickedness to fall into this reward mentality. As well said, because although we're talking about some more extreme examples, we do want to make clear as well that there are subtler examples that really all of us deal with. And so, for example, not only that reward mentality, we've obeyed God, did what I should do, now I can do whatever I want to do. Also, another way that we very subtly, many of us in our own lives, become licentious is we decide that certain sins that we struggle with are lesser sins compared to the sins other people struggle with, which are the greater sins, and it makes us feel better about our sins. So we give ourselves a license. So just an example, maybe you have someone who cusses, and I'm not talking about someone who's trying to stop, but they just, they do it, and they use language in hurtful ways, and they say things that are not appropriate, and they might say, well, yeah, okay, I, I cuss, I use language I shouldn't, I admit it, but at least I love people unlike those religious hypocrites. So you see what happened? We gave ourselves a license for one sin because it's not that. And then those religious hypocrites are over there saying, yeah, we might be a bit hypocritical. We might be too critical of other people, but at least we don't cuss. <laughs> that's what we all do. We pick the other sins. There's actually a book that's called Respectable Sins, and many of you have probably read it by Jerry Bridges, and he goes through sins that we tend to dismiss, that we struggle with. Example, he has chapters on unthankfulness. Do you excuse your own unthankfulness? Not a big deal. That's licentiousness. Anxiety. I'm just a worrying type of person. It's just what I do. Selfishness. Irritability. I wouldn't be irritable if they weren't. Da, 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 da judgmentalism, just trying to live a holy life, and others should too. So these are ways that we become licentious. Dan, I'd be interested, from your vantage point as an elder here, just here in our circles, this local church, the people we interact with and ourselves, what would be some kinds of licentiousness that we would be most tempted toward? Well, a terrific question, because I think you're right. I, I, I don't think that we readily indulge in a a wanton rejection of you know the the sexual restraints i think our sins are more acceptable to use jerry bridges term and to me both the podcast from last week and this podcast really is a focus on myself if i am a legalist I am focusing on my righteousness, my ability, my progress, my achievements. If I'm licentious, 
if I'm antinomian, I'm focusing on my felt needs. I'm not focusing on Christ in either way. So to think about those, some of those sins that we indulge in because we're thinking of ourselves within the Christian church, within our circles, as you mentioned it, I think apathy, apathy, being so concerned with myself that I don't care about others. It's akin to passivity and entitlement. It's a, it's a vicious threesome. There's nothing mediocre or normal about God. Our apathetic approach to God might be a contributing factor to the decaying corruption of our culture and our churches, never mind our personal holiness and our sanctification becoming more like Christ. Second, I think another way we serve ourselves and focus on ourselves is the pursuit of comfort and entertainment. Comfort might be a patriarch of the church-approved sins, a love of pleasure and ease. When the church becomes comfortable, a church starts to die and vibrancy is snatched away. Christians must be extremely intentional with their thoughts and actions to avoid comfort. If not, we become resistant to change. We start making second issues primary. We begin to see the mission as catering to insiders rather than reaching outsiders. The church simply can't be evangelistic, focused on missions, and dedicated to our own personal comfort at the same time. I would have to throw in um, the desire or demand for the praise of man and self-love. But again, to me, we may not use the term licentiousness or lasciviousness in our age, but we certainly can be consumed with ourselves. Those are great examples that unfortunately we do deal with in, you know, we have to keep dealing with them. Don't make peace with them. We want to get now into the more practical question. If this is licentiousness, this is what it looks like. This is our temptation. This is the battle we're facing as Christians not to be licentious. How do we do it? And we want to conclude with this question, and we want to focus on just two very important biblical truths that will help you crawl out of the ditch of licentiousness if you're laying in there right now. You've got to crawl out of there. And here are really two of the central truths to help you do it. Here's the first one. It's the power of grace. The power of grace. Romans 6.2 Paul answers his own question, should we sin that grace may abound? In verse 2, he says, by no means, no. (laughs) And then here's why. Well, why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? If we live in sin and make peace with even the more respectable sins in our life, think little of those things, it is proof that we are misunderstanding the nature of the power of grace. Grace forgives us. This is true. And, Titus 2, grace trains us. Because when we trust in Christ, we're immediately forgiven and immediately regenerated or reborn. And that being reborn, that's not just a trinket word in Christianity. That's a reality that takes place. A heart is changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that has God's laws written on it. There is a real change. That's the power of grace. Grace changes us. Therefore, Paul's argument in Romans 6 is it would be very odd for someone who's been forgiven to then want to just live in sin. So logically, maybe that's true. Yeah, you'll be forgiven if you sin, so you could. 
But if you're a Christian, you don't want to. You don't want that to be your life because you're different now. Your heart beats to obey, not perfectly, but it longs to obey. That's the power of grace. It changes us. So you have to remember the power of grace. That's going to help you. Secondly, you have to remember the purpose of grace. And that was the point of Galatians 5.13. We've been set free, so live in your freedom, but don't use your freedom from having to do all these things to be right with God. What are you going to do with your free time now that you're free? You're going to use that time, quote, through love to serve one another. So God has removed from our shoulders the burden of having to labor by the sweat of the brow to earn his favor. You don't have to do it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved forever and ever. Hooray. Well, now you don't have to work to gain God's approval. So what are you going to do with all that energy, with all that time that you would have spent desperately seeking God's approval? You are going to use it to serve others. That's the purpose of the grace you've been given. Amen. And if you think about the Reformation uh, 500 years ago, this was really one of the central arguments that Martin Luther was making. Because if you've ever read in 1520, he published three really important essays, and one of them was on the freedom of the Christian man. If you've not read it, I recommend it. It's very short. But the argument he makes in that little pamphlet is he says, look, here's the Roman Catholic Church. It's got a million rules called the sacramental system that you have to keep to be right with God. He says, no, you don't. (laughs) You have to believe. And when you believe, you're forgiven. But what are we going to do with all our time, all the energy that we've been pouring into going to mass, praying in this particular way, buying indulgences? That frees up a lot of time and resources. And Luther said, I'll tell you what to do. Go find somebody who has a need and meet it. (laughs) Go do that. And that message is still good for today. (laughs) Absolutely true. So that is the purpose of grace. We are so free. We are, Luther says, the most free of all men. We are so free because we don't have to earn God's favor. But we're not free so we can just chill and, you know, do whatever we want. We're freed up to love other people. Dan, as we close out here, um, this fight against licentiousness, how else would you help someone who is really struggling with just being lax about their own holiness? I have five points. First, pray. Pray for the one who changes hearts to change that individual's heart, to put a fire in their belly, to put a desire and a love for Christ that is so great that there is a hatred of the remaining sin that clings to us. Pray for yourself as you address and talk with this person that your attitude would be right. I'm thinking about the Galatians passage. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And then communicate, second bullet point, communicate in humility, faithfulness, don't, don't sugarcoat sin, be faithful and also be loving. Jude one twenty two. have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire on some have mercy with fear. First Thessalonians talks about admonishing those who are unruly, encouraging those who are faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And as everyone knows, I'm so good with patience. Uh, Bryce asked what he could be praying for me about, and I said, patience, I want it right now. But all silliness aside, we need to pray. 
We need to communicate in humility, faithfulness, and love. Thirdly, help the person. Help them out of it. Sing to them the song, There Must Be 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Tell them how to get rid of the key. Tell them to erase the phone numbers on their phone. Tell them to call you if they're in the middle of picking up something that they shouldn't drink, looking at naughty pictures. Tell them that you're there to help them. Give them practical ways to do that. And then, fourth bullet point, encourage them. Encourage them. Give them hope that God will indeed enable them to not be ensnared and not be caught but to be able to be liberated by the liberty that Christ gives us. And then, fifthly, follow up. Be their friend and come alongside, encourage them. Invite them to serve other people instead of serving themselves. So someone listening to this in the past, it's possible that they thought that being forgiven for our sins by grace means that we don't have to take sin that seriously because it's already been forgiven. So we can tolerate small sins that we have in our life, or it may also be that someone has other Christians around them who are not that serious about sins and seem to tolerate them. And so maybe you've started to think of sin as not that important to fight against. It's not worth the trouble. You may have thought that in the past, but by God's grace, may he help us all now to think this way. Mm 